Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And for the purposes of this episode, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. There's no incorrect spelling. Uh, someday I'll grow into the nickname. Yeah. Someday Some... you'll, someone will yell that out in like a crowded... Well, not crowded anymore. Someday someone will <laughs> yell See, that out from, from their the car. Yeah. From, from a car, like, hey, Rockmeister McCool. And you'll go, oh, and then they'll like throw a Slurpee at you. No, well, well and, I'm, I'm, and you'll nerd. I'll, I'll wheel around and like back on my heel and do like finger guns. Hey, and then I'll be hit by a slurp. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, this is the podcast where you write in to critically acclaimed. The email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. We get a lot of those and mm -hmm. we try to answer as many as we can and give them the time that they deserve. Uh, you can ask us questions, ask us recommendations, take us to task for things that we've said on our podcasts. Uh, whatever it is you want to talk about, really, mm -hmm. we're, we're open books and we don't like to dilly dally right up front. Uh, so let's just, uh, jump right into the first email. All right. Here's a letter from Fab. Hello, Fab. Hi. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. My name is Fab. First time writing. Relatively new listener. Well, Ooh. welcome aboard. It's an honor to have I, you. Uh, we haven't disappointed you yet. Great. You don't know that. <laughs> That's true. We don't know that. Um, during the pandemic, I've been devouring film and TV podcasts, including Amy Nicholson's The Canon on hiatus, uh, which I was on. Yeah. Um, I discovered Cancel Too Soon when Whitney was a guest on The Canon. Oh, there it is. Oh, cool. uh, making a great case for The Tingler. The Tingler is loose in the theater. Uh, ever since then, I've been listening to most of your backlogged episode. What a blast it's been. Thank you. Uh, the prop I need in my life. Oh, uh, yeah. Somebody wrote in uh, last week about what movie props we wish we could own. Yeah, and we, and, uh, and we threw this question out to everybody because we think it's a fun getting to know you question. Yeah. Um, the prop I need in my life is the chip and dip from the first season of Mad Men. A ceramic bowl shaped like lettuce leaves with a center shaped like a tomato. Ah, per, yes. Per Pete Campbell, quote, you have your friends over. You put your chips on the sides and the dip in the middle. I want it for entertaining guests once life gets back to normal. Those are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know many a grandmother that had those things. Those were like big entertaining objects in like the, the late fifties. I vaguely remember them. You mm. can get those, but if you get the screen used one, mm. what a treat. You'd be like, <laughs> John Hamm ate from this and I have not washed it. <laughs> Enjoy. At least not with water. Oh, <laughs> gave it a tongue bath a couple times. Okay. Yeah. I'm making it weird. Let's stop. Um, well, I mean, come on. What else would you want a chip bowl for? <laughs> Moving on. All right. Um, combine, uh, coming through your past episodes, looks like you haven't done can uh, Canceled Too Soon episode on Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein's 1999 cartoon, Mission Hill. Mission Hill was a That's colorful adult-oriented adult cartoon set in a Silver Lake-esque town with eclectic 20-something-year-old characters. It's such a delight, funny, and ahead of its time. I, recently, I read recently that Oakley and Weinstein are trying to get a spinoff going. If the spinoff does take off, would Mission Hill still qualify? Uh, we'd love to hear what you dudes think of that show. Thanks for reading Fab. I remember seeing an episode or two of Mission mm. Hill when it was on. Um, it did make a huge impression on me, but mm. maybe I saw a not great episode, or maybe I was distracted at the time. Mm. Who can say? Uh, Mission Hill has been on our list uh, for things to get to on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, it's something that we definitely plan to get to someday. If it has a spinoff, it goes into our maybe pile. Well, it depends on the nature of the spinoff. Mm. Like, if it's the same show with a new creative team, maybe that counts as a new series with the same title, mm -hmm. uh, a la Knight Rider. Yeah, or MacGyver. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it might be technically the same universe, but it's really a new show. It can also be a very different thing. Like, when we did Battlestar Galactica followed by Galactica 1980. Yeah. Galactica 1980 was such a different premise from the original Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, they recast, was, they recast were, a lot of the actors. Yeah. They changed a lot of the... Yeah, Took place so. many years later. Now it all takes place on mm. Earth, and it's stupid, except for one episode, which was amazing. Uh, yeah, it's... It, it'll depend, mm. basically. But, uh, you know, we're a little loosey-goosey with those rules. We try to stick by them as simply as we can, but we've done kinda episodes yeah, on yeah. more than one occasion in the past, and I'm sure we will again. 
And uh, it's it's only happened once that we covered a show on Cancel Too Soon, and then it was picked up for renewal, and that was Tuka and Birdie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tuka and Birdie's coming back. Uh, so I cannot it, wait our, for that. Our episode a... is, is a bit of a relic at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we had on our list Clone High, an animated ser- mm-hmm. cult series from 2000. And I think and, we uh, still are planning to get to that, actually. Uh, well, we can't anymore because they revived it. Th- and, it's, and it's in the my... same continuity, and it's the same team. I have so to check. We might have had I a think... request for that from a personalized podcast. Oh, well, in that if case. If that's the case, then we have to do, do it, but yeah. I, I have to I have to double check. I have to check my files. Okay, um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, that's a good that's a good recommendation, and it is on our list. And one of these days, we will get to it. Yeah. Um, here's a letter from Jay Andrew. Hello, Jay Andrew. Hi. Uh, hello, Mr. Seibold and Mr. Biviani. That's us. Yeah. Uh, before I get to the question, I hope you will address. I first want to tell William that he crushed my soul. <gasps> what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the end of the letter. No, oh, um, no. Uh, on the critically acclaimed episode you released on November 10th, William was talking about how he had his first experience with snow when he was in his twenties. Mm. At the time I was listening, I was shoveling snow at work in 10 <laughs> minus degrees Celsius weather. <laughs> snow has always been an annual reality for me living in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Oh my God. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> and so I don't know how to process this dichotomy of, Oh, how sad it was for you to not grow up with snow spoken <laughs> both in earnest and with biting sarcasm. <laughs> It's cold, but it can be very beautiful, and I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, look, use, I don't talk about this very often because I know some people have really mixed feelings about it. We, we bo- not only do we live in Los Angeles, we both grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. we're like LA natives, which is kind of rare from what I understand. You, 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 Everybody you, moved here, but nobody was born well, here. A lot of people move here for yeah. you know business purposes. There's a lot of different industries that are centered here, and a lot of people who grew up here hate it here and leave <laughs> so it's because it's expensive it's, it's expensive and, traffic, and, it's, and it's hot yeah. and it's polluted and yeah there's a lot of reasons to leave la and there's a lot of reasons to go to la and whitney and i were just the weirdos who, listen who were born I, here and stayed listen i probably would have left la for the weather reason alone if i didn't go into the entertainment industry which mm. is very much centered here yeah so it was here or like new york city when you i was could, like in college I or, could go, or bombay Move to yeah. Bombay. Make yeah, a lot of movies yeah, there, maybe yeah. I could have, but at the time I wanted to stay closer to my parents, okay. and um, and uh, yeah, and that that was that. Basically, I had one of those two options, so I stayed here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I just always loved L.A. I was bo- I was born in a, a it's its own separate city. It's not part of L.A. County. I was born in Santa Monica, California, mm. which is yeah, this like little kind of. Uh, expensive suburb of LA, it, like right on the coast. It's actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. and it, it wasn't always like the high-end neighborhood, but yeah, when I was around a teenager, that's when like a lot of money started coming to, to Santa yeah. Monica, a lot of rich retirees, and uh, as such, it has kind of a bad reputation for having a lot of like snooty rich customers. Uh, uh, <laughs> Pretty in Pink takes place in Santa Monica. Oh, there you go. She actually works at a record store that used to be on the 3rd Street Promenade, which is this big shopping oh, cool. district in... Uh, Santa Monica so like yeah, I yeah. think that's that or it's just shot there but I'm pretty sure it takes place there there are a lot of films that are shot in Santa Monica yeah. Get Shorty is shot in Santa Monica mm. but it takes place in Miami so Santa Monica is a stand in for Miami yeah uh, anyway, uh, we apologize for our snarky, ignorant attitudes about snow. Well, snow was one of those things. I think people who move to LA tend to miss seasons. Well, we, I, do, I hear we have that seasons. They're yeah, just you know what I mean. But like, but like non-subtle seasons, okay. like the fall, aggressive seasons. Yeah, with snow. Yeah, like uh, some people miss it because mm. they don't have it anymore, and the right. people who didn't grow up with mm. it go, "That would be interesting." I had a grandmother uh, who actually. Had never been in LA. She she was lived in Connecticut her whole life, uh-huh. and she always said she thought it would be fun to experience an earthquake. And I kept telling her, "No, it would not. I mean, maybe like the tiniest little one that's oh, like the, that's like a those, truck going by." You, but she was like, are fun. she Come was on. like Whittier and Northridge <laughs> sounded yeah. fun. I'm like, no, those were terrifying. <laughs> the Northridge Creek de- devastated the South. It was bad. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, we we have seasons here in LA. They're really subtle. Yeah. I'm Which glad- is to say, it gets it's it's hot, and then occasionally it gets rainy for a couple of months, and then it goes right back Co- to couple being of mo- hot. No, there's like four days in January where it's rainy, and that's kind <laughs> of it. And yeah, it, it starts to be autumn, and then it stops for a little and goes back to summer for some reason, and then it gets to be autumn it's like again. Like that Monty Python sketch. Yeah, it's like. Okay, oh, ah, September, nice and brisk. Why is it 98 degrees on October 20th now? This is absurd. Anyway, uh, moving on. At least we don't have summers where, like, coyotes explode in the middle of the street because it's so hot. 
Um, now to my real question. People are sick of me bringing up 2019's Cats. <laughs> uh, I've used your D-plus rating while trying to convince people to watch it. Family, friends, and coworkers have told me to just stop talking about it, and I refuse. Good, Good for, for you. I'm still in awe of just how hard Hollywood whiffed it, and I'm fascinated by it uh, almost a year after it came out. So I was wondering, are there any other movies you would have given a D-plus rating to? Oh, that's I guess a I'm a sucker for punishment and just want more. I hope your gentlemen are keeping safe. Uh, thank you for addressing another one of my letters, if you chose to do so, J.N. Uh, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, for those who may have uh, maybe newer, or maybe don't listen to every single podcast that we do, when Cats came out, the 2019 CGI all-star movie musical adaptation of Cats last year. Uh, it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's, it was not good, and it was not good in a very epic way. Uh, so on the Critically Acclaimed podcast, we review movies on a scale. Mm. Uh, we review movies on a scale from C- minus to C+, plus, where C is the average. Most movies get an average rating because that's what average means. C plus is above average. We highly recommend those movies. Everything from really good to the best movie ever made. And then C minus is below average, which is everything from we simply don't like it to the worst movie ever made. And for Cats, we made one exception and we <laughs> gave it a D plus. <laughs> Just because it is so, so out of the realm. It's so unbelievably like every it's not just bad it's misguided it's the kind of bad that we don't get anymore mm. like we we very rarely get so many movies are like protected by the studio system and yeah we get bad movies all the time but oh, yeah. we get like safe bad movies that you can see how every decision they, got made they and it look just didn't like, work yeah like something like um like look at a big bomb like john carter that lost yeah. 200 million dollars or, or green was, lantern where yeah, it, like, it, it just are, got chopped to hell and it, it, but, you every know, decision the, is understandable yeah, the, the but yeah the idea of making a feature film out of green lantern made perfect sense in yeah. the marketplace yeah uh, they just didn't yeah. do it well okay mm. fair enough bad movie but i can see how it happened so many horrible decisions had to not only get made but ratified <laughs> by hundreds if not thousands mm. of people to get cats made that you're staring there watching it and it's not without its charms. Like, some of the music is kind of fun. Some of the imagery is so fucking weird, you just can't fucking believe it. But you just can't imagine that this many people thought it was a good idea. And they were wrong. <laughs> no, it, if you enjoy it, that's fine. But let's not pretend it fires on all cylinders, okay? It's doing its own weird thing. I loved watching it. I can't pretend it's good. So the question is... I, what are the other D plus movies? Oh gosh! If like, we had been reviewing when movies so, when, they, um, when they come out, yeah, I, I, uh, it's hard to name one off the top of my. Like, I can name plenty of movies that I, I think are just miserable well, and bad. What I, what I, remember, but the ones that are just like big horrendous misfires. A D plus movie needs to be absolutely awful, like mm. top to bottom. You can't imagine anyone thought it was a good idea, and yet mm. hypnotic. It can't oh, um, just be unwatchable. Yeah. It's got to be hypnotically yeah, ill-advised. I've, I've brought this up before, but uh, I, I love the philosophy that Dave White affected when he was writing uh, yeah. for for uh, the website movies.com. And this was years ago at this point. But uh, he was uh, required to give a star system when he was writing for that website. Yeah. It was one through five stars. And uh, if you gave something five stars, it was, you must see this right away, uh, all the way down to like, a half of a star, mm -hmm. which is, don't which see is, this movie. which is under no circumstances. Should you ever see this movie? And then he had a zero star option, which was also see this movie right away. <laughs> he yeah, sa you he saved that for like, just like how the, bad this is. the holiest yeah. of holy fucking shit movies. Yeah. Uh, like, so the Oogie loves in the big balloon adventure. I think he gave zero stars. See, to I would, so the insisted people go see it. Right a D plus away. movie is mm -hmm. a movie where if you are lucky enough, when things subside and some theaters start reopening, that some movie theater, even if it's ironic, is showing this movie on the big screen, you go. Yeah, yeah. And the movie that jumped to mind first when, when they said this was Orca. <laughs> Orca is astounding. If you don't remember what we're talking about, we did a Jaws knockoff from the, like, the late 70s. We did an episode of The Two Shot on this back when that was a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, Orca, yeah, there were a lot of Jaws knockoffs after Jaws came out. A lot of them were about sharks, but there were also a lot of people like, what other aquatic monstrosities mm -hmm. can we use? And at some point, 
they said, I know, killer whales. They've got killer in the name, right? Problem is they're cute. <laughs> they're cute and they're smart they, and they're not that aggressive and they're mm. not really going to kill you. So what they did was they came up with the most horrifying backstory where Richard Harris, beloved like film icon, mm. Richard Harris, the original Dumbledore, uh, is like a fisherman who like slaughters a killer whale's wife and child and then the killer whale goes after him but he's on land and that does not stop the killer whale the killer whale finds a way to like blow up a power plant and then there's a giant explosion while the killer whale does a backflip in the foreground in the ocean celebrating his horrible you know mass murder victory he's like <laughs> eating Richard, uh, Richard Harris's house and mm. Richard Harris's like bed is falling into its mouth and it ends with like Richard Harris following this thing to the ends of the earth until they're fighting to the death in a glacier. It is epic. It is stupid. <laughs> Everything about it is stupid, but it is epically stupid. Mm. They thought they were making something amazing. They were not, but it is amazing to watch. So that's definitely... Okay. That's definitely my first thought. Anything else you want to go to D plus to? I'm just trying to think of things we saw recently, like within the last couple of years, that are just were completely well, awful but really entertaining. But we would have um, we would have reviewed those. Though. We yeah, would have given true. that a D plus. I'm thinking about like the old school, like mm. back when we used to talk about the worst movies ever made. Yeah, like we would talk about stuff like I don't know, Plan Nine from Outer Space mm. or the Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I'd go with The Oogie Loves. That would be yeah. another one. Um, the Oogie Loves and The Big Balloon Adventure. If you haven't heard of this delightful little gem. Oh my god, this movie. Um, I, I saw this in theaters. I was one of like five people. This I think it was one of the single lowest attended wide release film in history. Wasn't it from like um, the producer or the creator of like the Teletubbies? It was. It was from the, the creators of the Teletubbies. And they came up with another sort of Teletubby-like creature yeah. called an oogie love and it was yeah. just three children with like colorful oversized heads and felt yeah. skin. like barney costumes yeah. but they look like big kids but like they weren't articulated like muppets yeah. like the lips barely moved and the eyeballs would swivel yeah. back and forth uh and they managed to rope in people like tony braxton and jamie presley and christopher lloyd and carrie elwes to be mm -hmm. in this movie about uh, Chaz palmentary sings a song about gross milkshakes about milkshakes that's right yeah uh, and it, Chaz Palminteri is not a renowned singer. And it is about uh, how these, these Oogie Love creatures, in order to appease their friend, who is a pillow... And who is asleep. And who is asleep the entire movie and does not speak, uh, for the pillow's birthday, they have to uh, gather sentient balloons that are hiding out in dangerous locations. Yeah, like they got a whole bunch of balloons, but the balloons like flew away, mm. and now they're all hiding in dangerous places, and the only way... To rescue them is to befriend celebrities who are here for some reason. Mm. You know, a compromise is a thing. I think, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what we have on Gary Ellis, but well, it was but enough to get him into the Oogie Loves. They convinced him to play Bobby Wobbly in the Oogie, Oogie Loves movie. Where he's basically just acting like his knees are made out of, mm. like, rubber. And, and, and he sells bubbles. That's his shtick. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the bubbles. But uh, it also gives kids really bad advice, like, drink your milkshake real fast. Or, there's a balloon, lean over a precipice to grab it, lean further over a precipice to get it. <laughs> and there's, like, audience interaction, uh, you're supposed to, like, repeat certain phrases throughout the movie and it appears mm -hmm. on screen and this the kids is, are supposed to yell it clearly out. Clearly this uh, movie is for little, little kids. Yeah, this is like, a, yeah. This is, it's a film for toddlers, but even then it is baffling yeah like i don't even know a toddler that would hook on hook into something like well apparently the they Oogie didn't Loves. like no. It, like no one watched it no one who saw it reported liking it mm. like even with their kids it was a huge misfire and it was marketed as not a good like we made this movie we think your kids will love it was literally it was marketed as, as a product yeah this is gonna be the next it's big like, product so you the, might yeah, as well get on board now from the marketing geniuses they even say in the preview like from the marketing geniuses who thought up yeah. The, the Teletubbies. It wasn't yeah. like a, not the, a, not the great a magical new adventure. You yeah. know? Absolute cynicism from top to bottom. And mm. it is absolutely epic and fascinating. You should totally see it. I'm glad you got to catch up on that. One oh, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> I totally would have gone to D+. 
That's huh. definitely a D plus motion yeah. picture. Yeah. Um, we will keep thinking about this, but I would definitely, mm. I would definitely highly recommend those yeah. two. So, somebody, somebody watch the Oogie Loves and the Big Balloon Adventure, and let me know, let me know what yeah. it did to your brain, and then chase it down with Orca. <laughs> yeah. I'm, or maybe I'm, the other way around would be I'm actually, better. I'm actually know. looking up right now if Oogie Loves is on any of the streaming services. Uh, God, I don't heaven. think it is. I don't. I don't know if Orca is either. The problem yeah. with a lot of these, like really, really bad. <laughs> Wouldn't movies. you know it? It's on Tubi. Oh, thanks, Tubi. <laughs> Thank you, Tubi. Tubi, you're the best. Oh, it's free on Amazon Prime. Oh, it's around. Okay, okay. you can find uh, they, the, the Oogie Loves. They're, the big balloon they're adventure. not charging for that shit anymore. No, right now. no. Let me see if Orca no. is available. Anyway. <laughs> Orca, Orca is available. It's not available. For free anywhere, but you can rent it real easy hmm. on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, or YouTube. So it's very easy. It's a couple of bucks, and trust me, it is. If you want to see a bad but entertaining hmm. killer whale movie, and I dare you to find me a good one, uh, and I mean killer killer whale movie, not like Free Willy. That that is hmm. a good movie, but like like a horror movie starring a killer whale. This is kind of the one. Hmm. Also, the poster is hugely epic. Like the poster is gigantically just like Richard Harris flying through the air while an orca smashes its way through a whole town. Like yeah, it looks like the coolest comic book ever. Those old hand painted painted posters were great. Anyway, All right, let's move it. Let's move on. Here's a movie from S. Lip. Hello, S. Lip. Hello. Um, greetings, Bibbs and Whitney. I'm a longtime listener of all your content, but this is my first time writing in. Oh, cool. Uh, as I was halfway through this letter, I turned it into a two part question. So I hope you don't do not mind. Never you don't mind. Back in August uh, of 2020, I was blessed with a healthy baby girl. Oh, oh congratulations. Oh, Muzzle tough. Amidst all the chaos and that is this pandemic. I was raised on movies and wanted to come to love and appreciate them as well, but I'm unsure where to start. Mm. Whitney, I know you have a son and was curious how you tackled this question if it ever arose in your mind when becoming a father. Uh, I was raised on movies and had a huge shelf full of DVDs from all types of genres. I was always told those are mom and dad movies when referring to an R-rated movie. So naturally, when I was old enough to stay home, I watched every movie that retained the mom and dad movie title. Uh, But I want my daughter to experience movies at the appropriate age. But sometimes I appreciate that I watched movies that tackled more serious topics in my middle school days. Hmm. Wondering what your guys' thoughts are on the topic of watching movies much earlier than you should have, Mm. and if there's any value in learning topics and experiences through movies at a young age. Uh, Also, any suggestion for my daughter's first movie? I think I would like it to be something age-appropriate. Ha ha. Yeah, Yeah, it should be age-appropriate. A couple months old. Although, I don't don't know, man. My first movie was Staying Alive. Uh, At what age? I would have Were been you like a baby? Or, uh, yeah, the first movie yeah, I this... remember seeing, in uh-huh. a, and it was in a theater. I couldn't tell you what it was on TV, but mm. first movie I remember seeing was Amadeus. I was two. <laughs> I loved it, okay. and I insisted that we stay and watch it again. All right. So I firmly mm. believe that under certain circumstances, it is okay to show kids movies that aren't yeah. for kids, but you want to choose wisely. I totally mm. get that. Uh, thank you for taking the time to read this letter, and I wish happiness and health for bo- uh, for you both, and we'll be writing again soon. Thank you, S. Lip. Oh, thank um, you very much for writing in. And uh, yeah, yeah um, so Whitney, you've had an interesting situation where your kid isn't super into movies yet, right? Uh, well, yet. I don't know if you ever will be. Uh, yeah. No, my, my kid is not into movies. Uh, we've tried. We, we buy him videos at like the video store. We actually have a, a big uh, sort of pile set off to the side of uh, films that are a little bit more age appropriate for a little kid. And every time we suggest it, he's like, OK, can we make popcorn? We say yes, we make the popcorn, eats the popcorn, and leaves the room. He doesn't want to watch the movie. He just wants to see the popcorn. <laughs> um, I've, I've actually, a lot of people asked me this when, uh, before my son was born, uh, when, mm. my, when my wife was still pregnant. The uh, assumption what is, that he's going yeah, like, okay, to be you're, going you're, your into, you're into movies, you're a big movie guy. Yeah. Like, do you have a, what's your plan? How are you going to introduce him to cinema? And my response was always, I'm going to wait for him to introduce me to the things he loves. Mm. Uh, Thinking back about my own passion for movies and the things I love, I didn't get that from my parents. I didn't have like a direct influence uh, in terms of cinephilia. I didn't, uh, I didn't inherit that. This was something I kind of discovered on my own. And I think that's why I cherished it. It was mine. This was my passion. This was something I could explore on my own terms. Uh, As such, I can't presume that just because I introduced my son to certain films at a certain age that he'd like them. I took my son to a drive-in. We saw a double feature of Inside Out and Minions when he was little. Okay. Um, He fell asleep. You know, he's just in a car. He doesn't really 
understand why that's magical. There were a few movies that he would sit and watch like a couple times, but then has since lost interest. He was really into Cars 3, wasn't he? Yeah, Cars 3 was a favorite of his for like a couple weeks. And Mm. then he just sort of, yeah, the bloom was off the rose. Now he likes the toys better. He doesn't like the movie anymore. Mm. Um, He watched uh, Ponyo a couple of times. Okay, that's a fun one. Uh, It's a weird one. Yeah, there there was only a few that he would like even sit through the entirety of. Uh, he liked uh, Free Birds. Somehow, no. somehow that one got into his the weird one with like with Owen the time traveling turkeys. Harrelson. Yeah, um, I, I still did, haven't seen it. Did you watch it with his that? mom? Okay, that's weird yeah. choice. All right, uh, he, that is and, not a good movie. And he started saying, "I like movies with birds in them." So <laughs> we also introduced him to the movie Storks, which is a delightful film. Okay, uh, and we, then we introduced him to. Uh, I took him to see Spies in Disguise in the theater, uh, which is the one about hmm. the spy who turns into a pigeon. Um, and he, he's never had a sort of an obsessive attachment to any of the films he's seen. Interesting. It might be coming later in his life. He's five and a half. Yeah. Um, it might not have seen something that really connects with him yet. But at the same time, I'm not trying to force the issue. No. For me, it's interesting because when I grew up, and, I, and again, I don't have kids, and we've... Uh. The only the only show like our cats have shown any consistent interest in is Voltron, which is admittedly about robot cats. It's a little odd. All right. They, Sergio loved it. I, have, we don't know why. He just immediately just turned to it, watched it. Didn't happen for any other show, even other animation. He liked Voltron. It's a little bizarre. It was unexpected <laughs> and it was very cute. All right. uh, but uh, when I was growing up, I actually had a, a very much an opposite thing where mm. my parents, uh, my mother in particular, was very into movies. My dad was into certain movies. He liked history movies, World War II movies, Roman epics. Mm. Uh, he liked very silly comedies. Uh, but my mother was very, very much a cinephile. And so we would watch... We would do basically, back when we had video stores, we would just go through the classic section together. Mm. Um, and also, they really didn't have a lot of uh, compunctions against uh, showing me whatever they wanted to see. Mm. So I would incidentally watch stuff that... Maybe I was interested. Maybe I wasn't. I saw Merchant Ivory stuff when I was like younger than 10. Okay. Some of it attracted my interest. Some of it didn't work for me at the time. Um, I, my dad took me to see Predator when I was five. Oh, that's uh, responsible parenting. You know yeah. what? I liked it fine and it didn't mess me up. All right. Uh, I saw Total Recall when I was eight. It's a great movie. I appreciated it on an intellectual level. It did not mess me up. But kids are different. And mm-hmm. the thing that I've learned in terms of... Or the things that I believe, anyway, and the mm. things that I would do uh, when I have children is I would... Obviously, there are certain movies that I wouldn't watch with a very young and impressionable kid. Mm-hmm. Just because some of the movies that I watch, horror movies and the like, are really violent. And it's probably not the sort of thing they should be necessarily That's... like downloading into their brains like yeah, before they can understand context. Um, but uh, I'm not going to shy away from keeping my kids like around when I'm watching stuff that maybe is like above... Like their pay grade in terms of a being about adults doing stuff, mm. you know. Like if I was watching Howard's End, they can be around. Yeah, yeah. If they're into it, cool. Think, and if uh, not, that's fine. But like, yeah, they, if I'm watching Emma, they can be around. <laughs> they're not going to pick up on anything of the any of the yeah, subtle there's, innuendos. There's a lot of adult films that I think like that is films for adults. Um, yeah. Like for for an adult audience that I would show to you know a, like a twelve year old. Yeah. Um, I, like I know that says R R rated. You're not allowed to go see that without adult accompaniment. Well, if you're 12, you can see an R rated film. You just have to go with a guardian. Exactly. Like adult uh, can decide that yeah. this is okay for you. I know you. I know what you can handle. I know what you're mm. mature enough to understand. So I remember seeing some pretty rough films yeah. when I was younger. Um, I know. Uh, I think it's only rated PG, but I saw Cry Freedom. Uh, oh yeah, I, it's a heavy movie young. with um, uh, Denzel Washington and Kevin Klein. Uh, I saw uh, Black Robe. I still haven't uh, seen that. Yeah, which is uh, look that one up. That one, that one's really rough. It's got a lot of like violence and mm. and just misery in that movie. Uh, what else? I'm trying to figure out like what else I saw too yeah. too young in age because my parents did that too. They would take yeah. me to see what like my what, older sister might whatever they see, wanted yeah. to go, and I would just go with. And well, I because, learned to I learned to respect a movie theater the way some people learn to respect church. Mm, like yeah. it's a movie. You sit down, you appreciate what's in front of you. If you don't like it, you can complain about it in the car on the way home. <laughs> Boom. I, uh, yeah, when, when I was 
was a teenager when Schindler's List came out. My parents mm. took me to see that. But yeah, I'd, I'd take a 12-year-old to see something like Schindler's List. Yeah, it's... You, you, it's that's it's, the other thing I was going to say. Yeah. You, you talk to your children about whatever you watch. Yeah, I was Especially about to say... Especially if it's above if, their pay grade, you really want to... Yeah, and, and if you yeah. see a film that's like unexpectedly rough, just be prepared to have the conversation. Yeah. Oh, I about didn't, it. Yeah. I took my kid to see this movie. It's more violent than mm-hmm. I thought it would be, or it well, raised like a, themes I wasn't expecting. Like if if uh, here's a delightful animated musical comedy that I want to see with my my eleven or twelve year old, and it turns out it's a South Park movie. It's like okay, <laughs> okay, there's that's, probably should look that one up before you went. But. Maybe so, but <laughs> there, there's a there's some conversations to be had after True. you watch the South Park. And movie. there are indeed there are indeed many kids movies with. Which, in the efforts to try to, you know, to sort of be blithe and entertaining, they don't necessarily think their stuff out very well. And as a result, it may suggest, you know, a sort of an ethos or a moral lesson that you don't entirely agree with. I remember seeing Rio 2. Remember Rio mm. 2, which is all about I'm how... I'm so. Yeah, which is all about uh, the two blue macaws from the first Rio. The first mm. Rio is fine, by the way. It's mm. not particularly good, but it's fine. The second Rio is about how uh, if your spouse is like mistreating you and not respecting you and walking all over you and not letting you make any decisions and ignores you when you say something is wrong, it's your fault for not making them happy. That's the overall message of that movie. And I wish I was kidding about that. That's ultimately the point. It's It's so fucked up. It's it's morals are somewhere uh, arrested somewhere around the honeymoon. So like I might take a kid to see Rio 2 before I knew all of that. But on the way home, I would be like, you know, if you're ever like friends with somebody and they treat you like like that, you Mm. should know that they're not treating you very well. They're not treating you very well and you don't deserve that. Mm. That was the thing. My parents always talked to me about the movies that we were in. That doesn't mean they gave me a lecture. They were just like, oh, what did you think of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington when I saw that when I was eight? What did that make you think about the American government? And we just had a conversation about it. And it kept movies from being these like passive experiences that we just dump inside a kid's brain and into something that is part of their conversation, part of their lexicon, part Mm. of... Um, um, part of their lives, yeah. really, and not just an escape from it. And that was obviously I'm a film critic now, so that was really influential on me. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so, uh, but what would be what would be a good idea for a good first movie if you wanted to plan it out? Uh, the Red Balloon. Good pick. It's short. Good pick. Uh, there's there's pick. Uh, no dialogue. It's just all visual. I like it, uh, and it's easy to grasp that uh, a balloon is alive. Mm-hmm. And it's also just visually astonishing. I, yeah. I still don't know how they did some of those effects with the balloon. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like the re- the red balloon is a good one to start with. It's like a th- how long is it? It's really short. It's like oh, I think it's like I think it's, I think it's yeah. I think it's like forty one minutes. Yeah, I think it's like it's pretty. It's a, yeah, it's really 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 good. short. It's Smooth. really it's pleasant. Like it's gentle. Yeah, the, you know, the the balloon pops at one point, so it's really harrowing. But then other balloons appear, and mm-hmm. uh, not not to spoil the ending of the red <laughs> balloon, but. Uh, <laughs> The balloon doesn't like mm. blow up or anything. <laughs> like it's well, that, actually it's just a sweet movie. Although that was a joke on the critic. I know uh, they, 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 they went to the, the sequel. <laughs> oh, let's go see the red balloon. Wait a minute, this is the red balloon two, and it's this big, <laughs> like ho- Hollywoodized action blockbuster. This red balloon is a dead balloon. <laughs> um, I don't know what I pick. I don't think I pick a cartoon. Mm. I like cartoons a lot. Obviously, I have nothing against mm. kids watching cartoons, but. I don't think kids should watch exclusively cartoons because I think movies can be really influential in teaching us like how to communicate with yeah, one another. Yeah. Like well, it can teach us vocabulary, how to like express ideas, emotions, how to be clear about what we want or what we want to say. There was cartoons a, are so exaggerated or sometimes so unexaggerated that they're not necessarily useful yeah, in that regard. There was, I, I have so many experiences I could share, but I remember reading yeah. a study about those like baby Einstein uh, videos oh, yeah. that were really big about 15, those. 20 years ago. Uh, and how the way they worked out is they just sort of, it was like, a word would float past the screen and mm-hmm. then a, a, like a disembodied voice would read it. And then yeah. they'd like an image would float past and a, a voice would describe it. And the idea is a young impressionable mind, an infant would watch this thing and internalize the meaning of that word. Like mm-hmm. they'd be like, that would be a good way to start reading. And the problem is the kids aren't seeing any kind of human interaction. Mm-hmm. They're not seeing the context of that word. They're just seeing something really abstract and it's actually far more educational for kids just to watch like something extemporaneous, like mm-hmm. just where people are like something like the view 
is actually more <laughs> educational for kids who are learning communication. Yeah, exactly. Because that's just a roundtable of people talking and relating like human beings. Exactly. They don't, you know, they're not picking up on necessarily the meaning of the conversation or the greater context of the conversation or mm-hmm. who those people are. Yeah. But they're seeing the way people interact in a very natural way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if, if you want to teach your kid human interaction, show them something, show them just something where people are conversing. I would actually, I'm going to pick a film that I'm actually, I'm really mixed feelings on it because mm-hmm. on one hand, I do think it is quite astounding. On the other hand, I'm not a huge fan of it as an adaptation, nor am I a fan of how people were treated behind the scenes of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it might be a really good pick for a first movie for kids. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. It's okay. lively. It's got a good heart. Um, it shows adults being silly okay. and sometimes fallible in a way that I think kids can be, you know, can appreciate. Mm. Uh, but it ultimately has, it has good messages, you know, it's positive on women's suffrage and you can have a conversation about that. And mm. um, it's got some fun, fantastical bits that they're not following the plot. They can just appreciate the numbers. Um, I, I appreciate it as a production. I also think you should totally read those books. The books are way better. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, that might be a nice one for kids. And I, I'm also a big fan of like showing kids movies that don't have like nonstop action. Yeah. I think action is fun, but it's oftentimes a distraction mm. and prevents kids from necessarily making strong emotional connections to what's going on, which mm. I think is an important thing with kids movies or kids TV even is mm. to help teach kids empathy. Yeah, don't. And, yeah. Also teaches kids how to play, which I think that Jenny Nicholson has talked about this, about mm-hmm. how kids movies also teach kids like how to play. So like if you're watching a movie in which this stuff happens, that's the kind of game you might play with your friends. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's play X-Men, you know? Okay, well, great. Now you've learned violence. If it's, hey, let's <laughs> play Mary Poppins. Okay, now you're going to be singing and dancing and cleaning your room. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's better. <laughs> Well, and my uh, my son prefers video games to films. Yeah. Like, he's always been very uh, structure-oriented. He's very competitive. So video games play into the interests that were already there. Mm-hmm. And and I've noticed that when he plays with his friends, they're always contest games. Not in a mean-spirited sort of yeah, way. Yeah, competition. Um, but yeah, like, yeah. Uh, let, let's see who can race around the block fastest. Yeah. Now, now we're going to pretend that we're we have speed boosts on the street yeah, and we go it's, faster. It's, it's Mario Party, so, but in real life. Yeah, yeah so he, he takes yeah. a lot of the video game elements and incorporates them into play that way. Exactly. And that's, that's a, a good, I think that's a healthy thing for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, it's all a matter of not just absorbing it, but what you do with it. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's really useful. Anyway, I hope our rambling has helped. Yeah, you know, what? it's a question a lot of people mm. think of and a lot of people don't think of until it's upon them. Yeah. And now they're asking themselves, wait, what do I do? It's a great question. <laughs> mm. and, and honestly, when and if uh, I have kids, my answer might change. Mm. But this is, I'm going off of how I was raised and how I thought to myself I would raise kids in regards to their movie viewing habits. Mm-hmm. And Whitney has a bit more personal experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, here's another letter. Uh, this one comes from Name Redacted. If you don't sign off your letter, I'm not going to read your name out of the subject line. Nope. Uh, so this one comes from no one. Um, <laughs> it starts with uh, Mike Brabiglia treated, uh, tweeted, mm. uh, Dear streaming platforms, please play the credits. They're part of the movies. You should know this. Your company acquires the rights to movies. Don't you like movies? Sincerely, <laughs> people who like movies. Thank you, Mike Brabiglia. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I agree with this sentiment. Credits should play. In fact, the other day I watched Piercing and was scrambling to find the remote so the goblin track they used during the credits wouldn't be interrupted. Yeah. Uh, sadly, though, Piercing's end credits are rare in that I wanted to actually watch the credits, listen to the music, and look at all the background visuals. Most of the time, end credits are clearly a task that needs to be completed. Black background, white letters, scrolling, sometimes there's good music if you're lucky. Okay. I understand the credits give everyone involved in making the movies their due, and those people absolutely deserve recognition or credit, as the name implies. What I'm having trouble piecing together is why are filmmakers blaming streaming companies for making it easy to skip past the end credits when the filmmakers themselves for decades have put next to zero effort in making the credits (laughs) worth sitting through? Why should Netflix bother to play the credits when it's clear the filmmakers often put zero effort into making the credits themselves? And the filmmakers don't. That's usually... subcontracted to another yeah. company. Or that's another, not, that's yeah. not always true, but nine times <clears throat> out of 10, yeah, that's yeah. basically the case. Yeah. The movie's over, they pick the songs mm-hmm. and then the credits roll. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another argument is that Birbiglia's tweet brings to the table, although I suggest this wasn't, inten- I suppose this wasn't intentional. That is that if the credits are part of the movie, shouldn't, 
should uninspired end credits then affect the critics overall rating of the movie in context to how you review movies uh, might a movie that would otherwise get a uh, C but has boring credits then get buttoned down to a C minus after all this black screen at the end takes up 10 minutes of screen time and as Mike Birbiglia explicitly said it is part of the movie Perhaps Biblia and others are correct. Streaming services shouldn't default to skip or obscure credits, but I would also like to suggest that the filmmakers take some responsibility and not put and put some or any effort into the credits themselves. If filmmakers think that the credits are so important, then perhaps they should start treating the end credits the same, with the same respect and care they treat the rest of the movie. Um, That's okay. uh, that, you know what? This is a bit of a can of worms. This is a can of worms because yes. Um. I'm quite hardcore about sitting through the credits. I know you are. I always stay to the end. Uh, it's rare that I'll skip out on the credits, and it's only if I, I'm in an extreme time crunch. Or you really have to go to Or, yeah, or you really, really, really have to pee. Like, you've yeah. been, like, ever since the start of Act 3, you've been holding it. Of course, we are talking about that. That's in a theater, though. Yeah. Do you always sit through the credits when you watch a movie at home? Uh, often, yes. Okay. That's fair. Just It's yeah. a fair question, I think. Um... The idea that the credits need to be entertaining in some sort of way mm. is, I think, the notion that we need to let go of. It's like, we've just sat through a big bit of entertainment. Do we need, like, our minds to be that much more entertained for an additional few minutes? Well, because that's, that's an excellent point. I was going to bring what, that up. Yeah. What, I, what I've, I've always seen the credits as, first of all, you get to see all of the people involved. I'm interested in what's in the credits a lot of the time. Some of them have very interesting names. I always no. The, I'm, I'm dead serious. I always look at the credits and I go, "Oh, that's a neat name." I didn't yeah, know if like, anyone had that. If I was <laughs> pulling out your little book like Dan Stevens yeah. and the man who invented Christmas and writing down interesting You're names. Scrooge. <laughs> You're a Scrooge. I'm going to write that down. What a stupid movie. Um, <laughs> No, just you know, learning the names of how people were credited. You know, I know a lot about the, the way the industry operates. A lot of people do now. I'm yeah. surprised more people aren't interested in the minutia of the credits if they want to play, you know, armchair executive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where it was shot, uh, how many places it was shot. What uh, visual where, effects yeah, houses worked yeah, on it. You know, were, were all the special effects done in another country? And what kind of implications does that have for the way yeah. this movie should be thought about? How many second uh, unit directors uh, did it have? People don't so, really appreciate how significant that is. And it's so, not usually uh, in the front credits. And then, and of course, I'm always interested in the song lineup, which is usually near the end of the credits. So mm-hmm. I definitely am going to hang around for that. Uh, I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah. I know not a lot of people are. I can't make you be interested in that stuff. (laughs) But what I can say is that I feel that the credits are also sort of the decompression period. It gives you a few moments while the movie is still running, but there's no actual drama or entertaining things to absorb to reflect on what you just saw. I always thought it was kind of this little miniature uh, thought period before you go out of the theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people feel like they have a button on the movie and they can leave... I've seen people leave like while the camera's just sort still pulling back. It's, yeah. it's the last shot of the movie. The credits haven't even come up yet, and they're already out the door. Yeah, it's like I got the idea. I know I what feel, this movie I still is. See people doing that at superhero movies, and I'm like, you know, there's gonna be a scene. Well, I, how do you not know that by now? That's what I appreciate about uh, about those those Marvel films is uh, they were always careful to put like an, a little extra like minute of film after the credits. Yeah. So you have to say, so, and it was always like a preview or a tease for whatever the next chapter was going to be. That kind of annoyed me because it just meant, Oh wait, the movie's not over yet. We, we got like 22 more movies to watch before we get a conclusion to this goddamn thing. Uh, but, uh, it, but at the same time, you know, people are sitting and watching all those credits go by. Yeah. There's 200,000 people in India who are working on the special effects for this thing. But I agree with you that, like, the idea that some credits are entertaining. Mm. Uh, look at the f- a credit sequence for someone like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm. which actually play over one final scene, and it's fun. And then there's a coda at the end that's like a meta joke. Mm. Um, that's Those are entertaining credits. The credits themselves, you don't look at them, they're right there, but you're still mm. watching the movie. So and the, it's, the and cre- it's a delight. Just, you can take the credits out then. You <laughs> could, <laughs> no, you could, or you could do them both because yeah. that the, that ending is basically just, it's not important. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of wrapping up one last loose end. Mm-hmm. It's a cute thing. That's all it is. Uh, some movies have like big elaborate credit sequences for like the first part, like that big disco bit at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That was mm-hmm. fun. Uh, but then eventually they settle in and they just give you the damn mm-hmm. credits, don't they? Oh, didn't that movie have like, 14 stingers though like they put a lot of little there were a lot of ones in in some of those but um 
that and that's fine. But I agree. Oftentimes, filmmakers are assuming that if, especially if you're seeing this in a theater, which is mm. not a thing right now, but especially if you're seeing this in a theater, you don't have to go anywhere right now. You can just sit and appreciate what you experienced. Mm. At home, it's a little different. At home, you can have that cool down without the credits. Mm. You can just have that cool down. You can just pause it and just sit there on your couch and you're mm. fine. Uh, but I, I, hang on, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing that. I'm, I'm making. Right. I'm considering some of the options here right. because. I think that the automatic skipping of the credits is yeah, bullshit. Yeah. That's bullshit. Under any circumstance, that is bullshit. If, if for no other reason than because I've seen a lot of times, like on Netflix, and thank God they gave you an opportunity to like make this optional. Mm. But for a while there, they were automatically skipping to like the next episode of a show when there was stuff after the credits of the show I was watching. <laughs> like, I'm not done yet. Mm. The show isn't done yet. Knock it the shit off. I'm serious. Stop it. Um, I also don't like when they just flash up, here are some other things you might like, because yeah, even well, if you well, are the enjoying the... just started. And yeah. Even if you are enjoying the cool-down period, that is a distraction, and that is trying to sell you on something mm. else right now. What I don't mind is the option to skip them in a little button in the right, mm. just right there in the corner, very tiny. That doesn't offend me because you might want to. Okay. That's okay. It's an option because let's be honest here. Home the- video, it's always an option. You can always turn it off. You can always turn <laughs> off your true. TV. I remember when they were complaining about there being like a fast forward button. Mm. on like they're gonna add a fast forward button to netflix oh man we can watch this movie faster how offensive and i'm like i used to have a vcr that came standard Mm. because sometimes you want to go to a certain part of a movie that was it well the idea was you're taping things off the tv and you want to like skip around on the things you've taped sometimes there's three or four movies on a tape but let's say for example let's say you you are writing a paper in the 1990s about... Yeah, you need to cite a certain scene. Yeah, so you you don't want to sit there and watch the first, Hmm. I don't know, two-thirds of The Last Emperor. You just want to get to Hmm. the right part. So you fast forward. It's a function, and you don't have to use it. Hmm. So as long as it's not inserting itself into the film by putting up giant... You know, posters and buttons for other things, mm. or if it's doing it they, without they, like, you wanting it to, it shrinks the credits like way up into the corner so you can't yeah. read them anyway. I hate yeah. that. That bugs me. But if it's if it's not inserting itself into it, if it's just a little option right there in the corner, that mm. does not offend me. That's just functionality. Mm. But yeah, I agree. End credits don't need to be entertaining. It is okay to just allow them to be a cooling off period. Mm. That's fine. If you want to make them fun, you're more than welcome to do that. But again, not every movie makes sense that way. Like, can you imagine, like, I'm trying to think of an example. Here. Like, you watch something like Michael Hanukkah's Amour. Uh-huh. And it's this incredibly sad film about two... Like, I think they're nonagenarians. They're like okay. 80, 90-year-old people. And, it's and they've been married de- for a long time. And one Deterioration of them, and death. One yeah. of them has a deteriorating disease, and they start dying. And the other one has to take care of them in their waning years, and they're miserable. I don't want entertaining credits after that. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, a, a wacky outtakes reel? <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. You don't want... You, that's a sobering film. It's okay to have just... You know, hmm. stalwart credits. That the, doesn't affect the scene where she spits out the water and it gets on his face. <laughs> Wasn't there? There was some. Uh, uh, I, I was. I can't remember what the first movie was to show outtakes. I think it was Smoking the Bandit or Smoking the Bandit Two. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to. It was one of the Smoking and the Bandits. I think it was one of the first films to show outtakes in the credits. Mm. And then there was yeah. another movie where they were showing outtakes in the credits, and then they just showed one of the outtakes from Smoking and the Bandit Two. Even though it wasn't a smoky independent movie. What was it? I don't know what it was. It was yeah. funny, though. Anyway. Um, anyway, course, it's, and, it's and a that, conversation. That all peaked with, with uh, Pixar. Yeah, when they, they had started to make doing, him up. They, yeah, they started doing like animated outtakes for the film where like the, the animated characters were blowing their lines or like yeah, missing or, their marks. Or walking or into the, the boom mic yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's... That was pretty damn funny. Yeah. I actually missed those. <laughs> I wish they, I wish they do the, that again. The best part of A Bug's Life yeah. is, the, is that weird outtake reel at the end. Anyway, uh, credits. Mm. Uh, people, again, they're there to... You can leave during them if you want. There's totally mm. fine. You can also leave during the middle of the movie. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I can, I'm okay if you don't stay for them. 
but I also think they're very respectable, and you should always have the option. Yeah, I'm I'm a purist, which means uh, which is another word for asshole. Um, so uh, I I you know I'm not going to stamp my feet down, but yeah, I think when it's a streaming service, mm-hmm. play the whole thing. Yeah. People can turn it off if they want, but yeah, just yeah. play it as if it's a part of the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, not all of us are impatient and a lot of us do like to sit through the credits. Well, I think sometimes people, there's something you want to see in the credits. Like, and, oh, who, who did, was the voice in this? It's driving me nuts. Well, and and just, my phone isn't on me, so I can't check in on IMDb. Boom. Also, when you have that option, I think it encourages people to, to have that period and think yeah. a little bit more about the films they're watching than rather than just having them be another product, which is the way Netflix is encouraging well, again, you to think of them. Imagine you're binging a show and the show ends on like a cliffhanger. Mm. You have two options. You can either have it go straight to the resolution of that cliffhanger, mm. or you can say to yourself, oh my God, I can't believe they killed that guy. Mm. Oh, can you believe they killed that guy? What do you think is going to happen next? And while you're trying to have this conversation, boom, they show you what happens next. Like, no, we want to enjoy... A little bit of a cool off. The serialized uh, yeah. nature of something can actually be really, really important mm. to like engagement and our overall mm. sort of sense of a shared experience. And when we do show, shows for Cancel Too Soon, for the most part, I try to watch the opening theme every time. Yeah. Although too. I know sometimes I, that's not possible just because we have so much to consume. Sometimes we need to, we need so to speed that, through. Yeah, the it's like I, I have a choice to make. I can listen to that awesome opening theme for the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. for the 27th time, mm-hmm. or I can just... Or you can I, save I have, 90 have, seconds yeah, and like, get to the... Yeah, oh, but I only have 30 minutes left to finish this episode. So yeah. yeah. Like, it really comes down to the minute sometimes. sometimes so, yeah, yeah, I do have to skip over it. All right, uh, let's yeah, move on. Anyway, uh, here's a letter from Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi, um, Anna. Hello, uh, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. And uh, if you'll see here, it's in Cyrillic. Nice. Put in the Cyrillic alphabet. Very um, fun. I really like your conversations about the anticipation and the way franchise fans react to criticism in a re- recent letters episode. Uh, however, I feel a bit of hypocrisy here. Okay. And let me elaborate why. Uh, Star Trek examples ahead. <clears throat> don't, don't spoil Lower Decks for us Europeans who, don't, who can't access it yet. Okay. When Star Trek Discovery came out, many Trekkies, Whitney included, really disliked it. Yeah, because it, it sucks. Okay. Right, um, right, right. Beca- uh, because it is, quote, not really a Star Trek universe, where are the ideas of the Federation, etc. Mm. Uh, not to mention continuity questions. And then we had Picard, safe and loved by fans, but honestly, in my opinion, a very dangerous and pretty bad show. I don't like Picard either. I think that one's pretty bad. I want to like it. I do like the Riker family fan service and the sexy pilot with his holograms. And Sir Patrick Stewart is always a delight, but that's not enough for me. I haven't seen either of these shows. Uh, I'm just saying, I have nothing to contribute here. I'm just saying. The the pilot character, like the captain of the ship that Picard has to go on, Uh uh, he has a bunch... His crew is all holograms of himself. Oh, okay. So he gets to play the entire crew. That's cute. And each each hologram has, like, a slightly different personality. There's a scene where they're all gathered in one room, so he's, like, a bunch of him in one room. Yeah, that's cute. Um, It's it's cute. They don't do anything with that. It's because it's all part of, like, this one gigantic story arc. We can't have, like, one cute story with a bunch of holograms. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, So what we have here is the basically... Well, so what we have here basically is the same situation as with Star Wars, with being uh, episode eight uh, being something unexpected and cool and episode nine being a safe piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you use the same standards for a franchise you love so much as for a franchise you feel less passionate about? Why are you letting yourself be blinded by your feelings? I hope it doesn't come across as an accusation. I mean, it is an invitation to retrospection. Uh, side note number one, I admire how Alex Kurtzman dealt with the fan reaction to Discovery. Uh, season three addresses all the things Trekkies hated, especially about the Michael Burnham character in a very subtle way, and it gives uh, hope and good feelings that we all need in 2020, bringing in familiar things like the Trill Homeworld and fun Easter eggs like the USS Nog, Eisenberg class. That, that was, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that they also run into the Voyager J, mm. like, because it, it, this season takes place 930 years in the future, okay. so we get to see, like, the... The descendants of the USS ships. Nog. That's, the USS Nog. Yeah, it's like way off to the side, but yeah, <laughs> they they they, they, n- they named a ship after Nog. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Uh, but right. without making it pure fan service. Uh, side note number two: We tend to forget that no one is perfect, and we all evolve and grow in different mm-hmm. ways. We tend to stick to an artist, a director, an actor, a musician, a writer. We like at some point and feel like they uh, owe us to be the same forever to change in exactly the same way we do. But they are their own people, and as hard as as hard as it is, we fans need to learn to let them go, uh, not only when 
unpleasant facts are revealed, like Woody Allen, but also mm-hmm. when our paths go in different directions. I feel the current discourse when we choose uh, saints and perfect leaders, be it AOC, uh, Keanu Reeves, or Greta Thunberg, is extremely dangerous. Remember to always question what other people say, and feel free to disagree, even if it be frowned upon. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, uh, Anna. Um, <laughs> okay, it's an interesting point. Right. So uh, let's, let's, get Let, to, let's get a baseline when we talked about anticipation. Mm. Whitney and I are both concerned about how so much of the entertainment industry runs on not the movies that we have watched or the shows that we have watched, but the ones that we haven't seen yet Mm. and how what's going to be in the next Star Wars? What's going to be in the next Star Mm. Trek? Here's what I think should happen. And oftentimes this creates an unrealistic expectation or at the very least an inaccurate idea of what Mm. we're actually going to get. And that makes it harder to appreciate what we actually get, whether mm. it's good or bad. Well, what I think it does is it has people already with their their minds are already made up before they've seen the movie often can't uh, and, and the, think about how many people already know the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League yeah, is the like, best thing they've ever seen it might be but you don't know yet yeah like so they go in to see the movie and I've said this before going to see the movie is a formality in that state of thinking yeah. it's like okay you you finally get to see it yeah. but it's it's just sort of the thing where you like close the door at the end of the night all of the the excitement about the film mm-hmm. has almost like 80% of it has happened already. Yeah. Now you just want to make sure that it conforms mm-hmm. to what you anticipated. Mm-hmm. And that's why oftentimes if these like heavily anticipated movies are not what people expected, mm-hmm. even if they're good, they are often lambasted because it feels like mm-hmm. a betrayal. All right. of a sudden. Right. Now um, to cite the Star Trek and Star Wars examples, uh, I'm more of a Star Trek fan than I am a Star Wars fan. Boy, howdy, uh, yeah. is that true? That is, <laughs> I, that is, that is the understatement yeah, I, of the I, century. I grew up watching Star Trek. I did not grow up watching Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen all the Star Wars movies. I've seen them all. Yes, you have. Uh, every, Multiple every times, a lot of them. them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm experienced with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I understand the ideas that are in Star Wars and the things that made it exciting at first and the things that are tired now. And I feel like... Star Wars is something that is sort of aching for new ideas. Star Trek, uh, yes, they ache for new ideas. We're watching the third season of the original series right now, and we're already recognizing familiar script things Mm -hmm. that are going to come back time and time again. Any franchise that lasts long enough is going to fall back on old patterns. It's 50-some years old at this point. Yeah, they're going to repeat stories. Um, What I... What I didn't like about Star Trek Discovery is that it wasn't just that it was giving me new ideas or something new about Star Trek. I think that's that's what Enterprise did. Mm-hmm. That was like a, it had a, a new tone. It was set at a different time frame. It looked really different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was structured slightly differently. Like they were really trying to do something out of whole cloth with Enterprise. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Uh, when I see these new Discovery shows, they seem to be made by people who aren't interested in any ideas. There's mm-hmm. one type of episode in Star Trek Discovery. It's the violent episode. Uh, it was really, really refreshing to see these last few episodes of Star Trek Discovery and just learn that nobody gets murdered. It was like a regular <laughs> occurrence on Star Trek Discovery. Just people are getting killed all yeah. the time. It's a really dark, violent show. And while I appreciate that they're trying to brain like expose areas of the star trek universe that we don't usually look at like combat yeah they did that in deep space nine better but okay also some of the Uh, movies and yeah and some of the movies um i don't like that that appears to be its rise on debt now am i holding star trek to a higher standard yeah i am okay because i'm more familiar with it Mm -hmm. and i I and you're upfront about it you never pretend otherwise no no i'm not I, i don't think i'm holding anything to any kind of double standard mm-hmm. when I'm, uh, I think, I think because I care so much, I'm holding Star Trek to maybe a higher standard than I am Star Wars. Maybe. And when I see something in Star Wars that goes against the grain, I'm a little more exhilarated because I think I have less at stake. So mm. I see something like, uh, the last Jedi. It's like, I don't have this passionate attachment to Star Wars. So when they shake things up, yeah. that seems exciting to me. Uh, I don't feel maybe it's because I am too attached to Star Trek that when I see them trying to shake things up, I just see it as a betrayal or not, not even a betrayal. You know, I don't just, think you do because here's the no, thing. No, I don't see it as a betrayal. Here, here, I just see it as bad this, ideas. Here's why I think this is an interesting yeah. topic of conversation for you. And again, I haven't seen, I saw the pilot episode of Disco uh-huh. and I haven't seen any of Picard and I haven't seen any of Lower Decks or any of the, uh, any of the other new stuff actually. Mm. 
Um, if I had CBS All Access, maybe I would, but I don't. So there you go. You can borrow mine. Oh, well, maybe I will at some point. Um, but so I so I can't really contribute my own personal uh, experience. But what I can say mm. is that I've seen you and I've seen you express your thoughts and interest about upcoming Star Trek shows. Mm. And then I've seen you actually watch them and develop an actual perspective based on what you saw. Mm. We were all excited for Discovery because it had been a really long time since a new Star Trek show. I hope it's good. Yeah. And then you saw it and you realized this is not good mm. and now you and then you didn't like it. Then it but, got a little better mm. and now you like it more. And, and, That's good. And now we're on season 3 and it's like they figured it out. Yeah. They kind of like hit it some. A lot of held and uh, uh next generation didn't get really good right away it took a little time for it to find its its path so that's yeah. that's a uh, standard picard should have been a slam dunk next generation's like your favorite show <laughs> or at least it's up there yeah. it should have been a slam dunk and yet you watched it you didn't like it nope i didn't like picard. it's not because you knew what was going to happen it's because and this is based on what you've told me correct me if i'm wrong it's because you saw what they did and you didn't think they did it very well yeah, it's, I, it's, I remember you thinking that Lower Decks looks like crap. Like we saw the previews yeah. and we were like, eh. Uh, and then you watched Lower Decks and like by episode two you were like, this is really good. They're actually like putting some ideas into these these episodes. You you rolled your eyes at the Orville. Then you watched the Orville and you actually said, you know, this is actually a pretty good show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I that doesn't mean we're ignoring the hype or ignoring yeah, we, the anticipation or we haven't seen any of the trailers and we're I allowed just, to respond to that. But the important thing is that we have hmm. to. When the time comes to actually watch the thing, mm. as much as possible, put all of that shit aside yeah. and just deal with what we got. Because the mm. hype is over. The hype has ended. Mm. What we actually have now is the thing itself. And that's what lasts. Not the trailers. Mm. Not the podcasts where we speculated. The actual movie or the actual TV show. That's what we should be giving mm. a fair shake to when all is said and done. Yeah, I will sometimes... I saw that new picture of Steppenwolf mm. in uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's amazing. They redesigned him, yeah. Yeah, oh my God, it looks amazing. I'm like, no, I actually think he still looks really bad. Like, yeah. he looks like he's covered, <laughs> he looks like he made his armor out of paper clips. Yeah, like he's, he's covered in cutlery now. It makes no sense that any living mm. being would intentionally wear that. It looks absurd to me. But maybe in context, it will be fine. I don't know. What I know is, I'm right now I'm responding to marketing. Yeah, all, all, we, all, and that's all we have. Yeah, and it's and, okay to respond to marketing. Big, Let's just, uh, don't pretend that we know what the movie is yet. Mm. Don't pretend that we've seen it. Don't pretend that we know it's going to be good. We can say the marketing doesn't look good, or the oh, marketing yeah, the, does the, look good. Or I, it's saw, in, you know? I saw this scene, and the way they're selling it, that looks bad, or yeah. that looks good. And yeah. But we can't... Let's not come to blows over that. No, definitely not. Yeah. And and at, and when all is said and done, in order to make that work, in order to have that conversation and go... This looks bad. This doesn't look bad. This looks like the best thing ever. This doesn't look the best thing ever. The thing that makes that conversation possible is when it actually comes out, we put aside as much as possible. Yeah, we all have inclinations towards stuff. Mm -hmm. I like horror movies. I can be a little forgiving with horror movies, but if they suck, they suck. I was trying to acknowledge that I do have those biases. Yeah, we all have uh, we, stuff we all have that we biases, like. But I, I also, you know? also, I'm a professional, and I, yeah. I hope that. I'm able to communicate well yeah. why I think something works and why I think something doesn't work. Yeah. Well, uh, like, so, sometimes ba based it, yeah. on what was put into the show or film in question yeah. rather than just my own bias. A great example of this is Mank. Boys, that, oh, like, yeah. does that, that is, sounds exactly like something I would give four stars to. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old school Hollywood thing full of like in jokes and references it's, to like classic Hollywood and it's all about the making of Citizen Kane. Oh my God, I love all of those it's a, things. It's about a screenwriter. Yeah. All of those things just push all my buttons. And I'm like, ooh, I hope that's good. And it wasn't particularly good. And I just had to deal with that. Like, I was able to enjoy bits of it. It's mm. not a total wash. But I wasn't able mm. in the end to say this is a good movie because at the end of the day, it's not about what pushes my buttons. It's about whether or not it's a good film. Mm. And that's an important part of being a film critic is trying as much as you can to divorce that mm. and if you can't you have to be honest uh -huh. you just have to be honest and say look i'm a star trek fan person mm -hmm. i have an affection for star trek i'm not going to pretend i don't so i'm coming at it from that angle mm. as long as you can say that it's okay to have a predilection here or there mm. but as much as possible we 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 try to separate it from that
Anyway, that's uh, that is our letters episode for this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for writing in. Uh, we didn't get to your letter. Uh, we might in the future. So please keep writing. The email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Uh, again, we might read your episode in an upcoming. We might read your episode in an upcoming letter. Uh, yeah, write a whole episode. Yeah, no, we're not. And, don't, and, don't and do we'll that. read it in letter That's form. Way too much effort. Don't do that. We'll we'll, don't do we'll, that. we'll we'll map it out like an epistolary novel. <laughs> no, please don't. Please don't. Uh, but seriously, you can you please continue to write in if you don't want to write in, but you do want to join in the conversation. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at Lynn DeBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a ton of exclusive content, including podcasts about Star Trek, podcasts about uh, movies that should be on Disney Plus, but mysteriously are not. We have podcasts about the 1960s Batman series. We have commentary tracks. We have a whole bunch of stuff over at the critically acclaimed network Patreon that is readily accessible whenever you choose to sign up, assuming you do. And if you can't afford it, Totally get it. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You can leave us a review if you want to help out the show on wherever you find it. Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Mm. Tell a friend it exists. That would be nice mm. too. Um, but most importantly, we just want to thank you for listening and we hope you're doing great. It's been, again, it's a real rough year. We're, we're almost at the end of it. <laughs> we're doing so well. <laughs> we're going to make it. <laughs> we're going to make it, man. You, you, you act as if the ride ends uh, on, on December 31st. Let me sir. have this. <laughs> Let me have this, please. Please, God. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Hmm. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.